Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, Geekscapists? Welcome to a brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, and on this show, we like to talk pop culture. I like to talk to pop culture creators about the stories they tell, why they tell them. If this is your first Geekscape, well, that's what you have in store for you. This uh, Actually, I was going to say this week's episode, but I think I have two episodes this week. The road trip is over, and I can go back to doing more Geekscapes for y'all. Um, but today's episode that will take up most of this week is with the uh, creators and and uh, part of Cursed Films. It's on Shutter. I know that our horror movie night uh, audience is definitely up on Cursed Films and the things that Shutter does. And uh, what interested me on this one is that Cursed Films is about these horror movies where awful things had happened behind the scenes. And you have to ask yourself, are these films cursed? So Jay Cheel, who's the writer, producer, director of the series, along with Mitch Hurwitz, who I think was a pretty instrumental part of the research of, of this series. He's uh, into all those things that are like a cult or, um, you know, he's an author, he's a historian, he, he deals with religion. Uh, he's interviewed in a few of the episodes. Um, he's going to join us along with Jay and we'll talk about cursed films. But I got to tell y'all, if you're watching this live, I'm done with the road trip. Heidi and I went to South Carolina and back over the last three weeks to pick up things from her mother's that was like in an old shed. If we're talking about creepy stuff, like she had a bunch of old stuff in the shed. I don't know what kind of curses that we may have brought back to ourselves here in Los Angeles, but we did kind of like (laughs) drag it across the country. So who knows? Maybe we left some of it in New Orleans. Um, But it is quite the experience to drive through the country during a pandemic and see all of these places empty, like Bourbon Street, in New Orleans, completely empty. Uh, and to see my hometown of Austin, uh, not like I'd ever seen it before with some empty streets and uh, not the crowded Austin that it's become over the last 20 years. So that was quite the experience. And, you know, if you get a chance to drive cross country in your life, uh, which I've done it a few times, but um, do it. 
there, you know, it really gives you an appreciation for this country. And I know that we're in a political climate right now where we're pretty much fighting for the soul of our nation. And uh, you got to learn and kind of re- remember what we're uh, fighting for and reappreciate the things that uh, when you see how much we're divided online, that in reality, we're all kind of living in the same space. And it's got some amazing, amazing things in it and amazing people in it. Um, so I, I, I came back reinvigorated. I came back refreshed. And I know I did several Geekscapes from the road uh, and can't recommend them enough. Uh, the last episode is audio only. That was with Robin Prompt. He was calling in from Belgium about his new movie, The Silencing, which is a cool suspense thriller. Um, and I recommend the movie and I recommend the episode. Go back and listen to it. But it is audio only. So if you're watching this on video, you're going to have to go and get it on the uh, podcast uh, subscription what you know go find it on is it called apple podcast still it's definitely still called spotify i don't know these podcasters change their names all the time um but the best place to find out news on geekscape is to find us on facebook and twitter and uh whatever podcatcher you decide on subscribing geeks to geekscape on uh definitely leave us a review or something that helps our visibility um we've got a couple um people here in the uh in the comments already saying hi to us, but uh, let's get to the curse films. This is a series. I think it's five episodes. It's out on shutter. You're going to want to watch it. I tore through all five of them. They're pretty amazing. And they really help to answer some of the questions of these behind the scenes mishaps or horror stories that you hear uh, that again, make you question, are these films cursed? The death of Brandon Lee on the crow the death of Vic Moreau and two kids on the po- on Twilight Zone, the movie, the multiple things that happened on the set of The Omen or the or Poltergeist. Were these films cursed? Well, I've got a pretty good authority here with me. My friend Jay Cheel is here, and uh, he's been podcasting longer than I have, so he definitely knows his stuff. Uh, Jay, how are you, man? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, you added a co-host. This co-host yeah. is not approved. Who is that? <laughs> this is Casey. She's uh, very needy at the moment, so I apologize. No, okay, okay, no, Casey's welcome. Casey's welcome. But there's one thing that your series uh, told me. It's like you don't want to tick off animals. You don't want to do that. For sure. <laughs> you don't want to be doing that. Um, so you're in Niagara Falls. Where are you at? I'm in Thorold, which sounds like it, uh, something out of Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh-huh. It's near Niagara Falls uh, on the Canadian side. And yeah, it's just a small little town. I work out of my uh, living room currently, obviously, like everyone else. And I am waiting to get out of this place, <laughs> this Thorold. Um, I, but I've been in Niagara. It's part of the Niagara region, which is a beautiful area. But um, yeah, I've I've been commuting to Toronto doing the film thing for quite a while now and actually fell asleep while driving once, which was a very scary nightmare. So it's ready. I'm ready to move. No, no more commuting for me. Yeah, dude, be careful, please. That is it, it, you it know. Was crazy. I, I remember I was in stop and go traffic. I was listening to Howard Stern. They were talking about Danny Trejo. <laughs> That's all I remember. And then I just like nodded off and 
I probably shouldn't legally be talking about this, but no, I mean, I have, the, I, I have like sleep apnea. So I definitely sleep with like one of those things on my face um, because during the day I would definitely start nodding off in traffic. And I remember, I, I mean, not nodding. I mean, I would just get super tired and I have to come off the freeway and like find a neighborhood and maybe take like a 30 minute power nap and then get back to it. Um, but I do remember the buck stopped when I uh, was driving like the 10 to the 110 north to, to come to the valley. And I just was suddenly on the five, which I was going to get to. And I was like, when did I drive the 110? I was on the 10. Then I was on the five. And I like sleep drove it's pretty, pretty accurately, I think. I think that I... I, you know, if you think about those like self-driving cars, I think I simulated a self-driving car. Like I, you know, I'm not as smart as Google. I definitely don't have all that information, but I think I can drive a car like Google did completely like unconsciously. I'm never going to do that again, Geekscapist. Don't you worry. I have had a Geekscapist. I think Martin Scherer also, in Tor- he's in Toronto uh, or outside of Toronto. He sent me an email once saying he almost wrecked his car listening to Geekscape and laughing. So uh, I think it all loops in. That's the loop we got. Um, Jay, I'm going to bring in our good friend, Mitch Horowitz, who's an author and historian, uh, but he deals with religion, the occult, all those things that I think are pertinent to the topics that you are uh, researching and covering in Cursed Film. So here's Mitch out of Brooklyn. Mitch, how are you, man? I'm great. I, too, have fallen asleep at the wheel on the Palisades <laughs> Interstate, so I feel we should just dedicate the whole hour to this. Yeah, <laughs> It was horrifying. <laughs> Uh, no. Coming home from a, win- a, a, a winter camping trip um, on the Pennsylvania New York border, and I was very physically uncomfortable. I hadn't slept for about two nights, and I was driving home, and I just found myself like, you know, yeah, being awake as the car was swerving. So I pulled over. Yeah, I can assure you. Good, yeah. good. I did yeah. until we <laughs> rolled into the back of somebody. So. Yeah, uh, Geekscapers, please, please stop. If, if you're listening to this and you're starting to nod off, just pull over to the side of the road, get yourself a power nap, call a buddy, do anything but but uh, fall asleep driving. That's pretty dangerous. No. And I don't even remember how we got on the topic, except, Jay, you uh, got us on the topic. But let's, let's talk about the other topic that you got us into, this uh, Cursed Film series. Um, what led you to wanting to to put this series together? Because you are pretty much like the, the creative uh head of of this whole thing well i mean the i i the the version of the show that we ended up making i would say that's accurate but it was actually brought to me by shutter um someone named robin jones who was with shutter at the time she had pitched it internally and i was good friends still am good friends with uh, a wonderful man named owen shiflett who has since left shutter and he had thought that i would be a good fit for the show so they brought me this concept, which is basic, was basically just that idea. Simply, you know, we want to do a show about these films that have these reputations of being potentially cursed. And what would your take beyond that? So I pitched back to them this idea of just exploring those cursed ideas and using that opportunity to look at other things about us, like um, our attraction to pattern seeking and and uh, coincidence and synchronicity and um, magical thinking and um, you know our interest in in the occult and how that all I guess gels with what um, people think might have happened 
during the making of these films and whether or not there is some sort of supernatural element to the tragedies that that took place on those sets. Yeah, what I think is great about the series and why I recommend it definitely to all the geekscapists, whether you're a horror fan or not, um, is because it's more about more than horror. I remember when we were making Doc of the Dead, uh, if, I don't know if you know Alexander Philippe, he works in the same kind of circles. He made uh, he just made the, the he made the movie about Alien. He made the movie yeah, about yeah, Psycho. Right. And when Alexander uh, and I were talking about doing Doc of the Dead, I thought it was an opportunity to make a movie about our obsession with like our, our PTSD post uh, 9-11, post Katrina, all these things that made us, I think, obsessed with zombies. And we, we, suddenly we're making a movie about us more so than we're making just a movie about genre. Um, right. What I love is that you are uh, talking about these things and not just talking about a societal uh, circumstances that lent themselves to our thinking about these films or our acceptance of these films or in, like our obsession with these films, but uh, also what the cultural climate is around these movies, not just societal, but a, but a, a cultural climate within the industry, specifically in that Twilight Zone, the movie episode where you come out talking about auteur theory and, you know, the, the, the whole uh you know 1979 eight culture uh, or 1968 1969 culture of like post french new wave americana like auteur system that might have caused things to get a little too loose on that twilight zone set you yeah, know it's uh the the show really is a bit of a bait and switch i think you know that even though the title it's called cursed films. And we do talk about these movies that people have suggested might be cursed. The position of the show is never that we are saying these films are cursed. We're, we're looking at these movies that other people have said that are cursed and these reputations have formed around them and right down to the filmmakers involved sometimes claiming they were cursed. And I, I don't, I think it's rare that they actually mean that literally um, but the, the stories have, have obviously stuck around and, and a lot of people know about the various tragedies connected to, especially these five films. So I think the, the idea was kind of to, to look at that. But again, um, as the, as the show progresses, those issues that you, you've just talked about start to arise. The, the idea of people becoming looser with rules on sets and wanting to achieve their vision at any cost and, you know, little slip ups here and there that ultimately lead to sometimes very ironic accidents that, uh, you know, occasionally connect to the plots of the films um, the, uh, that they're, they're making. And I think that's part of the reason why some of these stories have uh, the power that they do and why people continually retell them is because there is a sense of irony there in, in, in that tragedy. So I think as the episode or as the series moves on, we slowly start to shift focus from the supernatural to the idea maybe of more, um, especially with a twilight zone episode. It's not that it was a cursed film. It's that the, the, the curse is those who were involved with it, having to live with what they took in and the families of the lost loved ones having to deal with that grief. So it, it is, it is a bit of an arc there that I hope, 
you know, it, it's it's a maybe a, a subtle one, and I think it's lost on some people. But for those who get it, I think it's a valuable um, uh, way to explore these these legends without it becoming too. I, I like, um, you know, we've seen listicles online, BuzzFeed listicles about the top ten cursed films and YouTube videos and everything. I, I just didn't want to repeat that, so I wanted to use it to be able to talk about something a little bigger than that. No, I applaud you on doing that because it definitely kept my attention the whole time. And I'm not the most hardcore horror fans. I, I, I fan. I appreciate them. I think that they're awesome. And obviously we have one or two horror podcasts here on the network. But uh, for me, I'd seen all the films and been like, oh, that's terrible that those things happen. The idea that they're cursed, though, I think that goes one step beyond. And like you said, we're now suddenly talking about us as much as we're talking about the film. Uh, I'm guessing with that going on, it wasn't too much of a, of a, of a problem to get Mitch involved because this is what Mitch is about. Mitch, talk, why don't you talk about your involvement in the, in the series beyond just being an interviewer? I'm guessing you were part of a research resource as well. Well, uh, Jay reached out to me at a certain point. Uh, I was in Chicago, actually, on the campus of the Theosophical Society, which is an old occult organization that was started in the uh, late 19th century. And it's the closest real-life equivalent physically to Hogwarts. It's this beautiful Gothic campus. And he called and asked me to be involved with the show. And um, I think his motive was that there were already a couple of folks participating who viewed the whole concept of, of a curse or of any kind of supernatural or extra physical activity from a position of skepticism. And my perspective on these topics, generally speaking, is one of a kind of critical sympathy. I take belief very seriously, both mainstream and alternative. I take seriously the question of there being some extra physical capacity to life. It doesn't necessarily reveal itself on a movie set or in connection with any of the films that were considered in the series. But it's a question that I uh, am, am willing to keep on the table in certain circumstances. And I think he wanted that voice as well to be part of the series. So I was, I was very heartened by that. And in this particular series, we talked about things, I would say more from a cultural perspective, but I, I hope you know, I was able to bring that perspective perhaps in more subtle ways into some of the discussions. And uh, Mitch, across the board on these episodes, and I want all of y'all who are watching this or listening to this to go check out uh, Curse Films. Again, whether or not you're a horror fan or familiar with the films or not, uh, I think that it says about as much about us as it does about the films. Um, across the board, it, it, there, there seems to be this conversation of, uh, curses, because I know that later in the series you do get heavily into the the dark magic and the witchcraft. You interview some more people who are involved in it, uh, and I found that really captivating. People who do believe in curses, but there's also the side in these films that say, you know, like uh, with the crow and the death of Brandon Lee, where you say, "Hey, this was an accident. These curses don't exist." Mitch, where do you stand on the topic? Because I felt like I was leaning on the accidents happen. These are terrible circumstances and coincidences. Curses don't exactly uh, exist. Where do you stand on that whole thing, Mitch? Mitch, can you hear me? I think it's Mitch frozen and uh, <laughs> I think Mitch might be frozen. 
if Mitch is uh, frozen, then Mitch, uh, let's get Mitch to, uh, I don't know if you can text him, uh, Jay, but uh, there's there's Mitch. Hey, Mitch. How are you, Mitch? There's Mitch. Welcome to the technological world. Of the, uh, so, Mitch, yes, Mitch, Mitch, you uh, dropped out there for a second, but we got you back. Uh, how? Uh, go ahead and, uh, and answer the question if you hadn't. So, I missed uh, part of the question, so if you could give okay. it to me again. So the question was, where do you sit on the whole curse versus non-curse on these films? Because the the yeah, the cynic I, in me says, oh, those are terrible things that happened. Sure. No, I really come down in this particular case uh, on the side of the, the perspective of the series. I don't believe these were cursed films. I believe these were portraits of, of human foibles and tragedies. In some cases, these things were caused by hubris. And, you know, interestingly enough, hubris is, is, is a theme that runs throughout a lot of horror movies, including Poltergeist, including some of the greats and the originals like Frankenstein and so forth. I mean, in a way, hubris is the mother of all horror. We, we kind of go to look someplace where we ought not be looking and something unpleasant occurs. You know, likewise, hubris causes accidents, hubris causes tragedy, hubris places people in positions of catastrophes that were perhaps avoidable. And... I really appreciate that the, the the march of the series ultimately goes in that direction. It starts off raising the question of whether there's such thing as a curse. Now, I take seriously the prospect that we participate in a life that's both physical and perhaps extra physical. I don't think that we're just beings of flesh and bone and cognition alone, but uh, uh, pursuing that question must be something that's done with a lot of care and a lot of thoughtfulness and an absence of credulity. And I think that the forensics that were put on display throughout the series were just brilliant at telling a story that was not supernatural at all, but telling a story of what happens when we when we take people's lives and safety for granted from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jay, as you're making this film, was there any sense, uh, what was the process for you? Like from the beginning of this idea, your, I'm guessing your, your, your interest and obsession in these films and your, you love them as a film fan. And then what were the discoveries that you made over the course of making the series and how did it possibly change your perspective looking back at these movies that you were familiar with? Well, I, I can say that I, I, I am a fan of the films. I, I was never really a fan of Twilight Zone, the movie. So I think after making the show, maybe I, I'm even less of a fan of Twilight Zone, the movie. Yeah, um, you know, it, it, you know, some of the segments. I think George Miller's segment is is okay, but um, it, it definitely changed. I mean, this is probably the least interesting answer, but actually, uh, interviewing the people, some of the people involved with the films, and hearing the stories directly from them, I think has at least momentarily changed my relationship with these movies, especially something like the exorcist, which is a film that is extremely um, powerful and and horrific in a movie that I saw at a very young age. And um, I was never really uh, that frightened by horror films growing up. It was there, there were some strange movies that got under my skin that were kind of horror adjacent, but the exorcist is the one true horror movie that, just terrified me and you know for obvious reasons and having gone through this process and met some of the people connected with that film um including eileen Dietz, who plays the face of pazuzu and the the white horrific white makeup which is an image that 
has stuck with me ever since I first saw it. <clears throat> Seeing her sitting across from me, uh, just very kind person and willing to share her stories very honestly and <clears throat> excuse me, making the connection that she is the person under that makeup. You start to see like her facial features become a little, you know, a little bit uh, familiar to me. Like, okay, I can see Pazuzu deep underneath this kind woman's exterior. And it, it was just such a weird experience. I remember using her, her bathroom and she had a Pazuzu light switch. cover. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, so it was like, okay, this is a different angle on this movie that, you know, lift the curtain a little bit. Um, and also talking to Linda Blair, the, the same thing. Just um, she was very warm and kind and, and uh, shared a lot of great stories and was a, a generous host um, at, at her dog sanctuary. And I, I left feeling, you know, some, some, uh, sympathy for for what she had gone through as a, a kid after having made the exorcist and especially this idea that when she was growing up before she got involved with the film she wanted to be a veterinarian and how great it is that she kind of came full circle after having gone through this this career and experienced both the good and the bad resulting from you know being the being reagan in, in this classic horror film um, to see her rescuing pit bulls and these dogs that are in desperate need of love and attention and trying to find them homes was really inspiring. So, so to, to kind of have that new perspective on a film that I remember just being terrified by as a, you know, 10 year old or whatever was an interesting revelation on, on this shoot, I think. Yeah. Linda has done some pretty amazing things locally here in LA. She is one of the big, uh, names in dog rescue and that whole community. So it was pretty awesome to see you put some of that in the film. Uh, again, it, it, the, the series Geekscapist is uh, curse films on shutter and it does go beyond just the films and talks a lot about who we are as people and the roles that these films play in our lives. Um, you had to go for it, but I don't think John Landis was ever really going to be a part of this. Did you, did you think? No, no, I, I, I... <laughs> we reached out to his agent and they suggested I draft up a letter for him. And I did. And um, I never heard back, but I, I didn't really expect to hear back from him. Um, I, I think it was the, a similar challenge. That's the extreme version of someone really being over it, not wanting to open that uh, <clears throat> back up again and explore something that, that ha horrible that happened. But it was kind of the challenge across the series, reaching out to people, especially with a show called Cursed Films, and asking them to revisit some tough moments uh, in their career, sometimes 30 plus years ago. And often, you know, these are things that I think they've talked about a number of times already. And so the, the angle for me was always just to presented them the opportunity to talk about things without any sort of agenda. Um, we, it's not like we were making a show, even though the title kind of hints at this, we're not a making, we're not making a show that is dependent upon believing that these curses are real or, you know, scaring the audience. So I, I would never interview somebody who went through something and try to ask them to 
play things up a little bit or guide them towards one conclusion or the other. Um, it was always just, you know, an opportunity for them to express their honest opinions on what happened during the making of those films and the way in which those events uh, shaped the legacy of the movies and the the idea of people connecting those tragedies to a curse and how that, I guess, sort of interfaces with the relationships they had with the people who were affected and their own uh, participation in those events. So the result, I think, was some really honest and and sometimes, you know, um, maybe a little bit angry and sometimes a little devastating. Um, and I, I really valued everyone's participation and how willing they were to talk about all of those events. You did not, I don't, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that going in and get trying to get gotcha material is probably the worst form of interviewing and, uh, and, and filmmaking. Um, I don't think you had to do it at all with uh, the art director of the twilight zone movie is still 30 years later over 30 years later, still very, very, very affected by those events. You see him on camera shaking when he recalls what, what happened on the set of that movie. I mean, that was pretty hard to, to watch. You can't see that and not empathize with him. Um, Especially when you're in the room, you know, that's what I was going to say. When you're in the room, uh, your instincts as a, as a documentarian, where do you, I mean, did you, did you peel off or did you say, you know what, um, I'm going to open the floor and he can share whatever he wants to share? Well, I mean, I, I definitely let him say whatever he wanted to say. We, I, I try to approach these interviews from a very conversational, casual perspective. Um, we, I had spoken to him briefly on the phone before we arranged to visit him in Los Angeles. And there is a lot of, you know, for for people who don't know <clears throat> how documentaries, uh, a documentary shoot goes I, on this production. It, it was a four person crew, a very small, intimate crew. We're going into people's homes. Um, we're sometimes meeting their family members uh, so his wife was there sitting to the side as sort of support during the interview. So whenever anything got too intense, he could look over and see her there. And she was she was present. And I told him that, you know, we could stop whenever we're, we're it's his call. Um, <clears throat> but leading up to the interview is also a very important moment, you know, leading up to the point at which we're rolling and we start having a conversation because we're, we're, again, we're just coming into their personal space and we're connecting with them in a very intimate way. And it's not always about the film. It's just, you know, we're having conversations about other things and kind of settling in. And I think it's helpful having a a smaller intimate crew and it's helpful not being, um, like too, um, uh, formal in, in regards to the relationship between the filmmaker and the subject. I've, I've, I've made a couple of documentary features that have been very intimate in regards to the process. And, you know, you always learn in film school uh, not to allow the subject to have too much control over the material because you can open up a, a, a lot of 
problems if you start collaborating in that sort of fashion. And I, while I don't, while I agree with that, I, I certainly would never give a subject final cut or, or something like that. Sure, sure. It is an, a, a collaborative form. They are telling their stories and we're, we're working together to represent that story and provide context. So I'm, I'm always open to just being 100%. My, my goal is to be 100% transparent with people. And right down to, you know, when we're filming with Vincent Bauhaus, The Exorcist, and after um, his, his clients leave and we're interviewing him, I'm, you know, have, I, I can't do anything other than tell him that I feel that what we just witnessed was problematic, <laughs> you know, like, and ask him to kind of explain how he would answer, you know, the, the number of questions that the audience are probably having about the ethical nature of what he's engaging in, in this hotel room in Los Angeles. So I, it's, it's really important to be transparent. And I think that leads to creating a, a cultivating this sort of environment where someone like Richard can be comfortable with just talking about that experience and feel like he can stop or feel like he can, you know, just sort of uh, control the tone and the pace that we're going at. I, I relinquish that control to him and allow him to tell his story, how he feels. And uh, Mitch, we have a, a question in the comments that I think would relate to both of y'all. Um, uh, Julianne on Facebook asks, have you spoken to any witches or lack of, of a more thorough word about curses, hexes, etc. cetera. Uh, Julian, if you watch the uh, show, you'll see that there are a couple uh, witches involved in, in some of the episodes. Um, Mitch, w- watching this and being somebody who studies and writes about the occult, I mean, I listen, I'm a layman. I don't even know if witches consider themselves a cult. I don't know. If, I mean, listen, the last thing I want to do is do is, is get cursed because I said the wrong thing on a podcast. All right. So if you're a witch or a warlock or uh, Julian Sands, I don't know. Like if you're watching this and you don't like what's coming out of my mouth, please forgive me. I do not want to be cursed because I don't know what I'm talking about. I leave the floor to you. Uh, fellas, when you start talking to these individuals, uh, how much is like your BS detector going off or how much do you have to like put all in that they are very much serious about what they're doing? Because yes, I think that there are witches in the series. Uh, Mitch, you've probably interviewed a lot of these people. Uh, What's your comfort zone with stuff like this? Well, first of all, I I think uh, we should use the term occult. I think it has historical integrity. Uh, it's a Latin-derived term that goes back to the Renaissance that means secret or hidden. And to my mind, the definition of the occult is simply the belief in an unseen dimension of life whose forces can be felt on us and through us. You could find such things within the mainstream faiths, but when they're outside a traditional doctrine or an established congregation, that's when we usually uh, refer to that kind of spiritual outlook as, as being a cult. And as far as the different practitioners that you might find, whether witches or, or, or a practitioner who might identify under a different term, you find the same gamut of folk that, you know, you would find within the mainstream religions. You know, you're going to meet people within some of the mainstream faiths, whether Judaism or Catholicism, who you feel have a, a really intense search and journey and are people of real gravity. You might meet other people who are just more credulous. Um, the same gamut of folk that you find across the, the whole span of 
of any human community you, you find within the occult. You find people who are deeply intellectually driven and who really care, who really care very, very deeply about combining critical thought with belief, who uh, will ask themselves from time to time, as I think anyone should, whatever walk of life they find themselves in, whether a materialist or a believer, you know, just use very general terms, to always be willing to ask, where are my doubts? You know, do I really know this is true? Am I putting safeguards in place to ensure that I'm not exploiting anybody? And uh, there are lots of practitioners who are that way. There are others who might come at things from a more credulous perspective, just as you might meet somebody who's certain that, you know, when we die, there's a place called heaven and a place called hell, and it's cut and dried, and there's no discussion. So you find a wide gamut of people. I, I do, I would say the following, I find among most people who would call themselves witches or use that term or label a term that, 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 that's undergoing a real spike in popularity over the course of our generation. You find, in my experience... Hold on. Whoa. We're losing you a little bit, Mitch, but, uh, but I think what you're saying is... Uh, let's see. Let me get you back. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Mitch. Spazzed out there for a bit. Hardcore ethics expert. Okay. Oh, okay. Are we good? Now? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I'll just wrap by saying you'll find among practitioners in most cases a real hardcore ethics about not messing around with hexes and curses or even love spells, so-called, or things that manipulate other people. There's a real concern with not manipulating people psychologically or otherwise. I find that runs very, very high within the Wicca community and. Uh, that's something that uh, observers don't always realize. You'd be hard pressed to find a practitioner who, a real legit practitioner with a kind of community and following and a literate person, you know, who'd be willing to, you know, just go off and cast a curse or even a love spell. There's We're having a little bit of audio problems with Mitch, but um, about, uh, I think we get message. Yeah, I, I think that the people I've talked to who deal with with spells or even like Wiccan kind of things that they the the concept of like free will is important to them that uh, that you don't want to practice these things without some level of free will. If if the subject does not have a willing participation in um, in the events, then I think you know it's not like it's not like the bad voodoo guys in Marked for Death with that Steven Seagal movie who are just gonna like curse you and then you have to deal with this for the rest of the uh, of the uh, of of the narrative. Um, I think I think what you were trying to say, Mitch, is that there is a level of ethics. No, even if you call yourself a dark magician or you deal with the dark arts or black magic, the occult, um, there's still a level of ethics involved and maybe the success of the spell involves the voluntary nature of the subject. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I think that the most of the practitioners I encounter would never do anything uh, without somebody's voluntary consent. So they wouldn't engage in uh, even a love spell, for example, if it was something that was seen as potentially manipulating an unwilling party. But here's something interesting, you know, Throughout all the professions, whether they're magical or whether they're therapeutic or something else, there's a kind of theatricality. And I think we all have to be really careful of that and watch out for that. Because in the same way that the magical practitioner 
might dress a certain way, might present him or herself that way. So does the mainstream clergyman. So does the mainstream therapist. And I've had the experience of people coming to me maybe and looking at me across a table and thinking that I'm the man with the plan and I could advise them on something. And the truth is, it's really easy to get seduced into that role. And I think that this happens with clergy, this happens with physicians, this happens with therapists. We all have to really watch out for that because people are all too willing to kind of hand over uh, their sense of well-being or their hopes that uh, somebody can help them to a third party. And that third party uh, holds a very precious responsibility in his or her hands. Yeah. Julianne comes back with a vast majority of witches are not Wiccan. That's important to this conversation because many traditions do not shy away from curses and hexes. Curses and hexes implies it, it, it implies something uh, malicious. It's not necessarily malicious. Is that right? Well, uh, not necessarily. I mean, some people do use the term witches and Wiccan interchangeably. I do myself. But sure, that point is correct. That not, not, not all witches are Wiccan. Uh, I would say uh, across the span of my experience, I have found that it's a real minority of practitioners who are willing to dabble in curses or spells that might involve an unwilling party. That's, mm -hmm. that's, been, that's been my landscape. And Jay, as you're filming some of these subjects, um, obviously as a documentarian, you got to have some level of a BS detector. Uh, did your BS detector ever go off on any of this stuff? Because there was a level of theatricality of some of your subjects. Yeah, you know? I mean, I think my BS detector is probably more aligned with whether or not they're, not necessarily if I believe that they're doing this ritual and this ritual is going to have a real effect on something. But more importantly, do they believe that it's going to have an effect? I, I'm My concern is that they're not BSing me in regards to their sincerity about their beliefs and, and what they're discussing with me. Um, so, you know, I, there are a lot of, I, I would, I would, I would have, if I interviewed as someone who is a, is, you know, at the very least agnostic, um, but I'd like to think open-minded, I'm sure my BS detector would be going off just as as often if I were were interviewing someone from the Catholic Church, my BS detector goes off a lot when I have casual get-togethers with friends. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's just a matter of uh, of whether or not I think that they're not being honest or not being sincere in terms of what they're suggesting they believe, and that's the most important thing to me. And so the the people that I interviewed on this side of this conversation are kind of extreme in terms of their, their beliefs and how they express those beliefs. But they were also very sincere and very open and honest. And um, again, much like uh, I said previously about Richard Sawyer, we spent a, a whole day with some of them and it was a great, a great uh, conversation and a, a great day spent with some people who were just wanting to be a part of the series to express their perspective on these things. And and for me, it was important to just, you know, we're doing a show about cursed films that is using the subject to kind of as a jumping off point to discuss other, other things, but it feels like we have to acknowledge at least for my own cur curiosity um, what it looks like to curse a film. Um, and I, I found that the answer is it kind of looks silly, but 
there, there are bigger things to curse. I think <laughs> you, you gotta curse a movie, really. The the ritual itself, I didn't think was silly. It, I I kind of found it really, uh, especially the environment we were filming it in. It was just as soon as the words of you know the film that he was cursing were spoken out loud. I was like, okay, this is feels a little silly, but, um, but I, I, I would also, you know, on, on the other hand, I, I feel like I left making the series um, with a more open mind. And, and um, I think a large part of that did come from some conversations with those guys because beyond what the, you know, the extreme things we engaged in, they were very thoughtful but of course, also speaking with Mitch and and Michael Carell as well, who's a self-proclaimed witch and was very kind of thoughtful and grounded and offered a lot of interesting uh, uh, ideas and perspectives. So in the movie, you do see somebody doing, uh, a, or in the movie, I call it a movie. In one of the episodes, you see someone actually performing a curse and they curse a specific movie. I don't think you reveal it in the episode what movie they're cursing. It's not City Slickers, is it? It's not city so, slippers, no. Do, do, but you, do you reveal the movie that they curse? Very successful film. And city slippers is a good movie. And I and and if, and if you're going to go with Billy Crystal and not curse my giant, yes, like I would be really upset. <laughs> like you know, uh, George Marisan is no longer with us, so like I don't think that like maybe he could be. I don't know. I'm being stupid. <laughs> uh, Jay, you said you went to film school. Did you always want to be a, a documentarian? Do you consider yourself a documentarian, or is it just one of the types of movies that you make? I mean, it's it's one of the forms. Um, I, I I'm a big genre fan. I'm very uh, interested in in uh, horror films, science fiction, thrillers. But I, I'm also uh, a fan of film in general. And documentaries are a big, important part of my life, both in terms of the, the filmmaking, you know, my career, but also what I watch. I, I'm a huge documentary fan. So um, I, I would say that in terms of my my kind of trajectory, I, I ultimately would I am hoping to make my, you know, scripted thriller or whatever it might be um, that we're kind of aiming towards that um, with some upcoming projects, but documentary will always be there. I, I love the process of documentary filmmaking. It, it just is, um, it's an excuse for me to be able to hang out with people who are a lot more interesting than myself and just pick their brains and, and the editing process, trying to make some sort of narrative structure out of seemingly disparate material and pull together something that feels like, a, a film is a very unique and interesting challenge that I love. So it's, yeah, I, I certainly would, I would classify, classify myself as documentarian, but also generally a, a filmmaker. Yeah. I am. I, I think that we all get into this profession out of the questions that we have. And I've always delineated the two simply on whether or not the answers to those questions are in the outward world or if they're in an inward world. And, and for me, my, my fictional narratives have always come out of questions I've asked of myself or how I believe about that, how I view things. And the documentaries have always come out of, well, can I actually just go ask someone this? <laughs> Is there someone out in the world that can answer these questions that I have? But I think that they all come out of some sense. I think our storytelling, our, 
our search for explanation. And I think that 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 loops itself very much into the subject matter of the series is that mm-hmm. we need we we don't need, but we we search for these answers, you know, and and we have ever since you know, early man walked out of a cave, saw the stars and said, what do you think's going on there? You know, <laughs> what is, what is, what is that? And they, you know, they started putting stories together. And I think that's what is important. I think um, for me, are the answers out there or are the answers in here? That's the delineation between fiction, uh, between documentary is the answer in a documentary is the answer in a fictional right. piece. Um, yeah. Mitch, you're an author and a historian I'm guessing that you've answered those. You may operate along a similar thread with the things you write. Well, I, I resonate with what you were saying about how uh, you know, early humanity looked up at the stars and, and asked, what is my connection to all this? And started telling stories as a way to probe that connection. You know, in a way, that's really the, the that that practice has continued, not only in terms of the stories that we tell ourselves, but horror as a genre, because horror as a genre is probably the one genre of film that most coincides with people's beliefs. Uh, Over the past several years in this country, the number of church-sanctioned exorcists has actually quintupled. And and that's that's an extra. And most people's ideas of exorcisms or demon possession actually come from the movie The Exorcist, which is the first movie in the series. And I would... I would surmise that the term exorcist would not even be widely known in our society today. We'd be more of a, a kind of crossword puzzle term if that movie had never been released. I think when people walk around with their mind's eye ideas of what demon possession is, what an exorcism is, even if they haven't seen the exorcist, they're drawing upon themes and ideas that were popularized in that movie. So, and there's a number of horror films like that. You know, I would say the same about The Omen. I would say the same in some ways about Poltergeist. You know, these are also part of the series where there is this real significant overlap between things that people believe from a spiritual sense and things that they see projected up on the screen. There's lots of religious folk who feel that in some ways The Exorcist is, um, is, 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 really deeply accurate portraiture of the the forces of evil that really exist out there in the world. Horror may be the only genre that coincides that strongly uh, with matters of belief. You know, if I, you know, if, if you, if you want to get an audience, you tailor yourself towards their fears, don't you? Uh, it, I've been thinking recently a lot about the birth of a nation. Obviously we're dealing with a place politically mm-hmm. in, in this country where, uh, we're having to deal with Nazis and the KKK again. Who'd have thunk it? Why did we even fight World War II? Um, mm. But I think about the role Birth of a Nation played in reinvigorating the Ku Klux Klan, which was an organization which was almost like an afterthought by that point. And suddenly, you know, the power of film in the 1910s, D.W. Griffith comes out with a movie in which the KKK is the hero. And it's cool like dressing up as Han Solo to be in a KKK again. And it brought back the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, I may be simplifying things, but uh, I've definitely read and heard many times over that that movie was instrumental in there still being a KKK in this country. Um, So, you know, I think we're also talking about the way that our narratives play on fear Mm -hmm. and play on people's insecurities I, I think Jaws is a good example of that as well. I'm sure a lot of people who 
study sharks would um, suggest that Jaws did not do sharks any favors. In <laughs> no. Lack of sympathy with um, support of, of uh, saving sharks or uh, helping protect sharks. Yeah. Or, or thinking about Linda Blair in, in, in Pitbulls. Uh, you know, pit bulls are, are one of those dogs that have been demonized, even on a on a, a local governmental level. With you can't have pit bulls if you're in this building, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we've seen city ordinances against breeds of dogs because of that. But uh, I think I think the dogs that bite most people are the whatever dog the dad had in Frasier. <laughs> I think that's the dog that statistically bites the most people uh, probably because it's a, it's a terrier that kids mess with and you end up just getting bit. If you mess with a dog, um, it has tear in its name. So. <laughs> uh, Jay, uh, the, the post process of this film, you know, at the end of this, I, I mean, I gasp, man, and my heart goes out to you at the end of the, the first episode, you know, you dedicate, the episode or the series to your father. Um, this has been a difficult 20, I mean, 2020, what the hell? I mean, I don't even know if Mitch could have foreseen this you know, in, in all of his studies, but you lost your dad. And during the post-process of this series, I, I, I believe, mm-hmm. um, man, do you want to talk about your dad and, and maybe the influence he had on you and uh, dedicating the series to him? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it was uh, a very unexpected thing, of course. He ended up with a brain tumor that it was discovered it was cancerous and had traveled from his lung and was given a year, but uh, only managed to stick around for two months. So it was a, a tough thing. And, and then, of course, immediately after that, the pandemic hit. And uh, <clears throat> just the challenges with that and this idea of losing someone to he ultimately passed away from pneumonia and then having this this pandemic with this sort of um, uh, respiratory uh, disease coming out and and threatening everyone. And then, you know, me thinking about not exposing this to my mother and and then, you know, the really the day that we got his ashes back and they were in our house or my mom's house uh the house where i grew up was such a surreal uh day and you know we talk about magical thinking in the in the series and i i said earlier that i'm at the very least agnostic and have troubles um wrapping my head around some ideas that others seem to be very open to and but having those ashes sitting in in the the living room uh, you know, it, it does sort of reveal certain, uh, ideas and concepts to myself that maybe I had not really understood previously, but had gotten a, a new perspective on. And, um, the connection to, especially the, the poltergeist episode, uh, of, you know, this idea of human remains being used on the set of that film and, and that having some sort of effect on the production and, leading to the death of two young actors tragically and in, in, in kind of unconnected ways. Um, I couldn't help but think of that, of course, with, with having these remains in my mom's home um, and just how it, it kind of actually made me a little more frustrated by this idea that that could actually have some sort of effect uh, in, in, in a negative way because 
you know, it, it would suggest that, you know, although my mom, like having ashes in a, an urn on a, uh, a, a shelf is a lot different than using a skeleton for a scare in a horror film. It's really all the same thing, I think, um, from my perspective. So it, it did create, you know, after the fact, a new kind of view for me um, in regards to that specific episode. And, but in terms of, you know, dedicating the show to him, you know, obviously the timing, I just wanted to put that out there, but he also was very instrumental along with my mom with exposing me to a lot of films when I was a kid. And he would often be the person who would go to the video store alone. And when he did, we couldn't really trust that he would come back with something that wasn't absolutely ridiculous. And (laughs) at the time those films were, we would kind of laugh at his choices, but as I've, you know, dug deeper and deeper into um, weird corners of cinema, some of the stuff, I remember him renting Dead End Drive-In, the Australian, like, exploitation film, and us laughing at that choice. And now I own it on Blu-ray in a beautiful <laughs> restored edition. And think to myself, well, he was just, you know, he had a very curious uh, perspective on on even films. So I, I wanted to dedicate this episode to him and, and I guess the series as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking about it. It's a, uh, it, it's a tough uh, experience to go through. I think um, Geekscape who've long listened to the show know about my experiences with sudden deaths and, and deaths in general. And, and I think that uh, spiritually you and I are pretty aligned in the agnostic uh, way, but um you know, you, you, you just keep thinking about those 27 grams, you know, mm-hmm. when, when, when the body goes, there's that extra weight. Um, and what do we, uh, you know, what do we attest that to? Um, and, mm-hmm. and again, it goes back to this idea of questions that, that uh, has led us to uh, the series is what are these questions we have? We have to answer them. Um, I will mm-hmm. let y'all go, but um, Geekscapists, you can follow Jay on Instagram at j.cheel. Uh, audio listeners, go check him out. Uh, I threw it up here on the screen for you on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. Uh, Jay, thank you so much about all this. Jay also has a podcast, which is called Film Junk. It is OG. So I'm guessing if you're listening to Geekscape still, uh, you're a fan of OG podcasts. Well, you got 15 years of podcasts and to go listen to over on the uh, film junk feed. So, uh, <laughs> Jay, dude, it's been awesome actually meeting you uh, this way in the podcast. You, you see, uh, you seem like a brother from another mother on oh, this one. Yeah. Very similar. If I hadn't just moved in, I think this wall would look very much like yours that you have yeah. right behind you. <laughs> uh, and Mitch, um, dude, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show. Uh, Mitch. Mitch is an author and a historian. Your most recent book, Mitch, do you want to talk about it a little bit? Oh, sure. I have a book out right now called The Miracle Habits, where I try to distill ideas that I think uh, are going to lead to greater effectiveness and power in your life. I also write from a practical perspective. And um, the book that I have out that's probably most interesting to your listeners is Occult America, which was my first book that came out in 2009, and that probably relates most fully to some of the themes in the series. 
And we can find Mitch. Do you have a website where we can find a lot of your books? Or uh, MitchHorowitz.com, or if you throw my name into Amazon, you will find 15 years worth of reading. So. And Geekscapers, you can also follow Mitch on Twitter at Mitch Horowitz, or he's Mitch Horowitz23 on Instagram. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Cursed Films. Uh, the series is available, I think, right now on Shudder. Is that right? It's available right now and actually comes out tomorrow on Blu-ray and digitally. Okay, so Geekscapers, if you're listening to this, uh, go find it. I'm guessing that's a VOD release. Uh, search for Cursed Films. If you're a subscriber of Shudder, which you may be if you're also listening to the uh, Geekscape Horror Movie Night podcast, which we should have Jay and Mitch on because then you guys are really mainlining the, the horror stuff right there. Like Geekscape, I'm like, yeah, Spider-Man's great. Let me see if I can find an end to all this stuff. I'm like the layman of pop clothes. You know, it's like uh, a mile wide an inch deep, that's that's me when it comes to a lot of this stuff. But uh, if you really want to mainline some horror, you want to be on the Horror Movie Night podcast, which I think I'm going to... I think I told them I'd be on to talk about Chud in September. Wow. <laughs> you know, Chud. Uh, I'm gonna, I, yeah, I mean, we did talk about City Slickers, and that is another Daniel Stern classic, mm-hmm. is Chud. So look for that on the uh, Horror Movie Night podcast feed come September. Uh, but gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. If thank Geekscape you. Is, if this is your first Geekscape, please subscribe. Leave us a review on any podcatcher that you've uh, that you've that you've got selected. I don't know. There's so many of them. There's one like there's one called Dogcatcher. I don't know what that is. Maybe you're listening to us on Dogcatcher. But remember back in the day, Jay, when it was just iTunes. Mm-hmm. And that, and now, now you look at your podcast download numbers, and you don't even know where they're listening to these things from. They're like pulling them off of these weird apps, and I'm like, whatever, just whatever weird app you're listening to Geekscape on, just leave us a nice review on there. Or maybe you think it stinks, and the host talks too much. You can post that too. I'm up for criticism. It's okay. It's all right. Well, we're all going to be sucked into the sun one day. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> And all this stuff we've talked about probably won't matter, but I hope it's made your day just a little bit better. Um, All right, gentlemen. Uh, Thank you so much. You're welcome on Geekscape anytime. Uh, Geekscape, that's the show for you uh, today and uh, for the most of this week. Uh, We'll be back pretty soon with a brand new episode. So again, subscribe, share, Tell your friends about Geekscape and all that. And uh, I'll try and put some things up on the wall if you're watching this live. I think that giant kickboxer Van Damme poster is going to go right behind me. So be looking for that. Um, And love you. Don't hate. Create. And from Los Angeles, finally, this is Geekscape and Jonathan Singh over and out. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 